Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Turn up your volume. Your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast with Tony Maradero. No, 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 no. It's with me, Matt O'Han. The Sickest Montreal Canadiens Podcast. And now, a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous forum in Montreal. The Canadiens win the Stanley Cup. Brought to you by... Energy Transportation Group, driven to be different. 8.6 beer, intense by nature, and Locage. If the last time you went to Locage was when the Habs won the cup, it's time you went back to Locage. It's going to be sick. Good Friday evening, everyone out there listening. I am Matt O'Han, filling in for the one and only Tony Marinaro. The Italian Stallion is out as he usually is on Fridays, the Hebrew Hammer is in. Uh, Sick podcast brought to you by 8.6 Beer, intense by nature. The beer for those who follow their instinct and live their passions in order to make their mark. On tonight's show, as you may have seen in the billings, on Twitter, on Facebook, uh, I don't know if we put a YouTube promo out there, but he is... From the Locked On Canadians podcast and Habs Eyes on the Prize, mostly covering the Laval Rocket, but keeping an eye on the Montreal Canadiens as well. Scott Matla, how are you? I am. I <laughs> I feel bad. Before the show started, we were talking. I was like, okay, the Rocket are going to go to overtime five minutes before I've got to jump onto this show tonight. Lo and behold, they did that, uh, snatching a point away from the Toronto Marlies. But I'm doing good. It's Friday night in Buffalo. The Bills play on Sunday. Plenty of beer in the fridge, and we are ready to go for the weekend. It's 75 and beautiful, so can't be beat. Perfect. We're, you know what? We're going to get to the Laval Rocket. Uh, just quickly, before we jump into the Habs, though, you got uh, you ever jumped through a table out in Buffalo? No. Uh, I was on another podcast where I talked with professional wrestler Eric Young, and one of the questions I got a chance to ask him before the show was over is, is if I am going to jump through a table, how do I do that? And I was told, don't jump with your stomach down and tuck your chin so you don't hit your head. Uh, all of this is not legally binding advice. So if you get hurt, it is not his fault whatsoever. Yeah. And I would imagine uh, go for wooden table over plastic table. Uh, it's got to have more give. I mean, just, you know, that's what I think. <laughs> yeah. Hard plastic in the winter in Buffalo is not a winning combination uh, in any way, shape or form. That hasn't stopped anybody at any of the games or just randomly on the street during the playoffs, but I am not most people who are doing that. I have 
a little bit of common sense to plan this out, I think. A little bit is good. You know, you don't want to have too much. Uh, you don't want to be too smart for your own good. So let, let's let's uh, jump into the to the Canadians. 2-1-1 one, and one on this four-game road trip. Uh, I think surprising everyone, uh, especially in that game against St. Louis, you know, winning 7-4. to four. Cole Caulfield, a couple goals. Uh, Nick Suzuki, I think he had a goal and two assists. And Christian Dvorak, obviously, with the most Christian Dvorak hat-trick ever. Um, so fast forward to this week. Canadians lose last night. I mean... Not the most entertaining game, but uh, some things we can take out of it. I mean, I want to start with the captain. I mean, he just scored a beautiful goal in that game. Uh, you know, takes it to the net, goes around a defender and just roofs it over Hellebuck. What's the biggest difference in your eyes from Suzuki last year to this year? There's a swagger in Nick Suzuki's game that I think he's playing with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder in a good way. Not that he was written off or that people thought he isn't capable of this. He wears that C on his chest. Now he's, you know, been a captain. He's worn the A before he knows that his game has to get to another level. And he's doing that offensively. He's just doing things and he makes them look so natural. And his synergy with Cole Caulfield on that top line is, the, no, the one thing that we know is going on this team every single night is that Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki, when they're on the ice together, are capable of making something magical happen in the blink of an eye. And I watched them play the little bump pass. The minute Caulfield bumped it off to Nick Suzuki for that goal last night, you knew what was happening. He's already He's got the space, and Nick Suzuki and space is a dangerous combination because he doesn't always look it but he just pulls out something magical there. He rounds Dylan DeMello, gets around Hellebuck and roofs that, you know, over him. It's beautiful. And watching him play with a tenacity and a and just utter skill every time he takes the ice. And people talk about underlying numbers, this or that. Puck's going in the net when he's on the ice, and he's mm. just playing so, so well. I believe he's on a couple-game point streak as it goes right now. That's what the Canadians need this year. They're not supposed to be a good team, but seeing that progress from Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield together is better than you could have hoped for at this point in the season, especially last year where nothing went right for anybody until Martin St. Louis got here. Well, and that's kind of the question, you know, because a new coach comes in, you're kind of, I'm talking last year, of course, you know, you're kind of expecting that jump for the team for, you know, a little bit at least you know, for a couple games and then, you know, that kind of fizzles out and you go back to what you are. Um, and then, you know, coming into this season, I think everyone, including their grandmothers, were expecting the Canadians to be, you know, in the Bedard sweepstakes and they find themselves at 500 now on pace for 82 points, which is completely out of it. I mean, it's not a playoff team, but uh, it's completely out of it. So, I mean, is it fair to say that, you know, this is, you know, Martin St. Louis coming into this team was the best thing for Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield. I think a lot of it is that and just um, modernizing the approach to the team a little bit is players are allowed to play to their strengths. It is no longer, and I'm someone who has a ton of respect for Claude Julian as a previous coach. It is no longer defense first and then this and then this. It is play to what you know is best right now. Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield have been, you know, told, go be creative, do what you do best, see how plays go from there. And that's allowing them to use what the, you know, their hockey IQ at its best out there. 
And now the question is, can they find another person for that line that makes it work? And it looks like they've got Kirby Doc. Just modernizing the approach to the team is that it's let players be themselves. Don't try and make everyone the same thing that you can put square peg, square peg, square peg. It's everyone is a different fit on this team. Allowing them to, you know, feel like they can play their style is important. Someone like an Arbor Jack guy in years past, it's like, okay, you're going to play defense first, puck off the glass and out. Don't try and carry it in this. Guys want to carry the puck. Guys want to get creative. Guys want to pinch. And that's important. It, every good team allows players creative freedom to be the best they can be. And Martin St. Louis brought that out. It's, and it's most apparent in Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield because I don't think it's a debate. They're likely the two most talented players on this Canadians team right now. Yeah, and that's it's pretty clear. And, the, and you know, the guy riding shotgun with them was uh, Kirby Doc. And he looked pretty good. And, and I don't, I don't, I mean, you know, you're over in Buffalo. There's a lot of Bills news to be consuming, but you keep a close eye on the Canadians, of course, because you have to. H- have you been noticing that? I mean, I've been noticing at least, you know, some segments of the media have kind of been going at him, uh, Kirby Doc, I'm talking about, as kind of like a new whipping boy for the Canadians. Are you, are you picking up any of that over in Buffalo? I mean, I am, but at the same time, Everyone, there's always a target at any point in the year, and it always shuffles. I look at it this way is that he was the part of a huge trade. Kent Hughes made a splash at his first NHL draft. He traded a player a lot of fans liked in Alexander Romanov out of a defense that was unproven that he might have been a piece of the core in at the NHL draft after picking Uri Slavkovsky. It's a lot of gamble, and I watch the way Kirby Doc plays, and I go, people can pick a whipping boy and all they want Watching the way Kirby Doc plays, it he with his reach and his size, he keeps plays alive. He gets to the right areas. He he's consistent in what he does. And if he finds a home on that top line, that's great. If he finds a home in that top six, you're walking away from that trade at the draft already laughing that you have a 21 year old center slash winger. I think right now he's most effective as a winger. We can use his creativity still, and. You, you're winning that trade at that point. It's young. Mm. He's part of this core. It's not like they traded for a 25, 26-year-old guy on his way out. They traded for someone entering their prime as a player, now with a coach who wants to them to play to their creative freedom here. You know, he played well alongside Sean Monaghan to start the season. He's played well on every line he's been on. And we talk about Brendan Gallagher kind of being a Swiss Army knife and being able to play anywhere. Kirby Doc is proving that so far this season. And if he sticks on that top line, you're, you're laughing at this point. That's three under 25 stars on your team to build around going forward after that. Yeah. And I guess to bring it back to, uh, to Connor Bedard is that, you know, obviously he's a nice piece. This guy's a generational talent. Um, you know, same thing with Michkov, same thing with Fantilli. Um, but you know, if you're surrounding your, if you're not surrounding him with those pieces, you basically got, Connor McDavid, Connor McDavid situation over in Edmonton, where sure he can carry you to the playoffs and his 120 point seasons are really nice. But when it all comes down to it, you kind of got nothing at the end uh, when the games really matter. So, I mean, listen, we're only, we're, we're still only 11 games into the season. Um, I don't know about you. I'm not prepared to call this team a 500 team yet. I, I think 
some things are going to happen to uh, to uh, diminish that point percentage. Uh, the biggest thing out of that is, and God bless Samuel Montembeau, after everything he went through last season, playing with an injured wrist to get through the end of the season there, the goaltending will regress to what the mean is. I don't think Montembeau is going to stay as a 930 goalie. If he is, he might be one of the greatest free agent signings the Canadians GM has ever made at this point. And that's going to regress. Some players are going to stop shooting a little bit less. Maybe the power play will go up. The penalty kill might dip a little bit. It's like you said earlier, they're 500 now on an 82-point pace. They're not a bad team. They're not horrific like they were last year or the Arizona Coyotes or Chicago Blackhawks of this year. But they're a team that's going to finish in that bottom 5-7 to range just based purely on the fact that percentages are going to balance out. They're playing with four rookies on defense right now. And they're asking a lot of their young players, which is what you want in a rebuilding year. And the biggest part about that is, did you see improvement from the pieces you want to be stars next year and Mm -hmm. be those leaders in the playoffs? Then you don't care where you finish this year. If Nick Suzuki finishes the year with 85 points and Cole Caulfield gets 40 goals and Uri Slavkovsky proves he's an NHL player, you don't care that you finished seventh from the bottom in the NHL or fifth from the bottom in the NHL. You saw the growth you needed in this team. And that's yeah, and then you win a lottery and get someone like Adam Fantilli and you laugh afterwards anyways. But it's all a process there. It's not just a one thing only. It's not we finished last. Now we're good, we're gonna be good again. You gotta build up this season and not kind of let a rot sink in like was happening last year. Yeah, I I I, I totally agree with you. And I, I think I guess the next part would be like, you know, injuries are gonna happen trades are going to happen. And like you said, the goaltending is going to regress, but I mean, I, I, I'm not seeing the cracks in the goaltending that I thought I would, because, you know, everyone was saying last year, you know, Jake Allen is the best backup and, you know, he was very good. And then Samuel Montembeau obviously has to step in as well. And it's just, I don't know. There's something about this goaltending tandem that, I'm not again, I'm not prepared to say that they're, you know, that this is a duo going forward. It's obviously not. You need, you know, a guy who's going to be playing 55 games. Um, But, you know, you see these you see these two guys battling and I don't know. It just feels like they've there's something about them, especially in Montembeau, that's just noticeably different. You know, of course, he was injured at the end of last year, but just other than that, noticeably different in their demeanors and the way that they're playing. Yeah, Samuel Montembeau last year had two settings. I'm going to let in this goal from 45 feet out that I should have saved, and you are not scoring a single goal, even if it causes my entire lower body to explode while I am making this save. And he's kind of channeled the you are no longer scoring a goal kind of thing into it, into his game this year. He's using his body. He's a larger goaltender. He has the athleticism to make really good saves. His reads sometimes are a little wonky, which, okay, I'm not a goaltending expert. I'm not going to definitely criticize that. Mm. He makes the saves he needs to this year. And there are times that he kind of gets hung out to dry a little bit. There's not much you can do on that. And Jake Allen is as solid as always when it comes to positioning, when it comes to settling the game down, Jake Allen is a perfect guy for this defense because if things are getting rough, he's going to cover the puck and he's going to bring the temperature down a little bit. Whereas last year, everything is on fire all the time, just trying to get the puck out of the zone, whichever way. And doing that with the defense in front of them now with Joel Edmondson coming back and hopefully Mike Matheson in the near future, 
there's a little bit more veteran leadership there too that's going to bring that down a little bit more. Being able to just tone up that defensive structure in front of the goalies makes their lives easier, which makes the Habs' lives easier because the puck's not getting fished out of their net six, seven times a game anymore. And I'm interested to see where Samuel Montembeau goes from here because he's got a 928 on the season. And he's 2-1-1. One, and one. Uh, Jake Allen's got a 908, but has obviously played the more difficult mm. teams so far. And with Vegas on Saturday, I assume Allen will get the start in that game. It's going to be real interesting to see how they manage the workload there because if Montembeau keeps playing well, you can give him more starts, and it's not like you're worrying about it like you were last year at this point. Yeah, no, you, it's funny you say it's fun. It's just funny you say worry because I don't think they were too worried about winning and <laughs> losing last year. Um, so uh, I, I want to talk about this. Uh, we'll we'll you know what we're talking about goalie, so we'll get to this now, and then we'll go to the other subject. Um, just another point from last night. I know you talked about it for a little bit on your podcast episode that dropped this morning. Uh, how long are we going to have this goalie interference conversation? <laughs> I, I knew you, I knew I would get that reaction from you too. It all depends on how long the NFL, the NFL, the NFL doesn't know what pass interference is either, but that's a different podcast topic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what goaltender interference is. I don't. And I've tried to understand it and I've tried to figure out what is the baseline for this. I can understand last night. Yes. Jonathan Kovacevic kind of shoved Blake Wheeler a little bit. And then Blake Wheeler still falls into Samuel Montembeau and has him pressed against the post when he sweeps the puck in. He didn't have to fall on top of him. He wasn't pushed that hard to do so until the NHL actually sets a baseline for this is the example of goaltender interference. Clearly, if you do this, we are overturning the goal every single time. We're never going to know. It changes from whoever's in the situation room on a given night to the officials who are on the ice looking at and calling it goal, no goal. I don't know what the standard for goaltender interference is. I don't think a lot of the fans, media, anyone knows what the standard is for goaltender interference. And it's frustrating. What do you have to do to have it overturned or be a good goal? Because we famously go back to Chris Kreider dragging Carey Price out of his Mm. crease and that goal counting. But Brendan Gallagher bumps a goalie 30 seconds prior and then the puck goes in and that counts as goaltender interference. The standard is all over the place given on players, teams, officials on the ice. The NHL, like the first thing they should be doing in any offseason is what is our standard for calling this? Because no one knows at this point. And you're just guessing. Uh, People say it's a joke when you flip a coin to figure out if it's goaltender interference or not. I don't really think that's a joke anymore because it ends up being true more often than not at this point. Yeah, and you know what? It just seems like the NHL, um, more than any other league, is kind of more reactive than proactive on these things. So the th- the thing where my mind goes to is, you know, they implemented coaches' challenges on offsides after Matt Duchesne is caught seven feet offside. They don't call it. And, you know, he scores a goal that he even stopped skating, and now we're measuring millimeters. Um so there, I feel like there kind of has to be that moment where a ref just has to screw it up so badly that, you know, it's just they have no choice but to set a criteria. And I feel like that's why it's so much more frustrating in the NHL than it is in the NFL because you can't challenge a pass interference. So you can see it on a replay. The next play happens and you kind of forget about it. Um, Whereas this is a challengeable play. There should be criteria. When you challenge a catch – 
there's this whole famous football move. You know, what's the what's the hockey equivalent move of making an effort to get out of the way is I guess where they're going to have to, you know, hammer that out. That's, you know, thankfully that's not my job and not your job, (laughs) but you know, it's, it's just how many of these are we going to see until, you know, it's going to happen in a, in what a Stanley cup final. And that's what it's going to take. I I was still, I am still waiting for that. An overtime Stanley cup final with the cup on the line, Home team scores the game-winning goal, cup-winning goal. All the confetti and streamers and everything come down, and they go, we are looking at this for goaltender interference, and you have the world's most awkward pause between everything. And then they realize, well, that might be goaltender interference, and Mm. then they call that, and just the amount of trash that would likely be thrown on the ice after that would be astronomical. And because it's the NHL, it's entirely plausible that this is going to be a thing that happens to them because it well, it, well that's it. I mean, it, it's the way I see it going down. Also, if you reap what you sow, is that you don't set a standard for it. Eventually, in a high-profile situation, it's going to blow up in your face, and then you're going to be in front of the entire sports world where you are the focus at this time, and have to go. Well, we don't really know what goaltender interference is, so here you go. This is what you get now exactly it's just I, I there just has to be concrete rules i mean i i just like you know it, it's a shame because you know on paper video review is should be the greatest thing ever and make things perfect as they should be um and it's just now we're measuring millimeters on offsides and you know they'll set a criteria a new criteria for offside i don't think it makes much of a difference uh anyways let let's go back to the beginning of the week for the canadians before we move on to the laval rocket um because i have some questions for you uh for some players over there um evgeny dodonov this whole situation you know he's sit he's he's hurt no, he has a virus. He's placed on IR. Is he at practice? Is he not at practice? Martin St. Louis, I guess, blows up, if you could call it that, at reporters. I mean, do you just think that this whole situation is being overblown? I mean, yeah. It, when things are going well, mm-hmm. you, it's like we talked about with finding a whipping boy for something, is that there's got to be something that like isn't going to what everyone expected. And I don't think it, there's anything sinister going on behind this. I think it's just a guy who, you know, either isn't up to snuff for what they want right now when they wanted to find cap space to get Joel Edmondson back in the lineup. Okay, you get creative with it. Or they thought maybe we would have moved other bodies out by now and there's no problem cycling him in and out with a Rem Pitlick or a Yol Armia, Jonathan Drouin. And it could just be we have to alter the plans as on the fly here. They have to be reactive instead of they were trying to be proactive before. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, it's you know it's not anything sinister. I still think Evgeny Dodonov can be a very useful piece for this team. I think he's made a lot of – he's making the right reads and right plays, but he's a step behind where he needs to be on that. And I don't know if that's just game shape kind of thing, being under the weather, being injured – who knows? I'm obviously not there. I am not Evgeny Dodonov or a Habs doctor or anything. It's, I don't think it's as needs to be as blown up as it has been. Cause this will pass in a week and something else will, you know, take the limelight off of this or he'll get traded. Who knows? Uh, Kent Hughes tends to pull things out of nowhere uh, a lot of the time. Yeah, I, uh, I totally agree with you. I, cause you know, I'm, I'm watching this situation unfold and I'm watching people, you know, kind of not freak out about, 
over Martin St. Louis, you know, uncharacteristic, we'll call it snarkiness rather than blowing up at reporters. Um, but, you know, it, it's just, it's exactly what you said, you know, like everyone was expecting this team to be horrible and they're not horrible. And, you know, when you're, when the expectations are kind of in the basement, there's not really much that can go wrong and this situation is going wrong. So it just feels like people are jumping all over it for a guy that, you know, we were all celebrating as uh, Canadians fans were celebrating that they acquired and got Shea Weber's contract off the books. So um, yeah, I, I, I agree with you also. I think he could be a very, very useful player uh, going forward because again, we're on the same page. Uh, I think he's making the, the right reads as well. Um, someone who was not making well at the beginning of the season seemed like he was, you know, not processing the game as fast as he should, or sh we all hoped he would at one point is uh, Uri Slavkovsky obviously turned it around. He looks pretty good out there whenever he is on the ice. Um, but you know, still people sniffing around saying, Oh, you know, he's not quite that uh, generational talent. I mean, he wasn't teed up to be, um, but you know, when you, when you're a first overall pick, there's expectations that come with that uh but how do you feel i mean covering the laval rocket seeing how they're doing do you think a, a stint for him over in laval would be good for him i wouldn't be opposed to it and i want to preface this by saying him being demoted to the rocket is not him playing badly in the nhl it's giving him more ice time to work on the finer points of his game he has a lot of things going for him i watched him play at the rookie tournament in buffalo and you can see when he's going, he's making aggressive plays. He's using his body and his reach like we talked about with Kirby Doc. And sometimes there's some inconsistencies with that. He's 18 years old, barely. It's not all going to come together at once. Mm -hmm. And the Rocket, for as well as they've played, the record is now 2-6-2 two, and two on the season. They haven't played badly in a good chunk of these losses. They lost in overtime tonight despite another 40-shot effort and a third-period comeback. They are crying out for someone with a little bit of that finishing skill. And we saw it with Cole Caulfield when he started in the AHL and even last year. He went down, put up a pile of points, and then came up and torched the NHL afterwards. Giving him a couple of games there if, you know, everyone is healthy and they need to make room for other players and whatnot, there's no issue with giving him a couple of games with the Rocket just to say, hey, we're going to send you down there. You're going to play in the top six. You're going to play 15, 20 minutes a night power play, whatever they need you to do, that's perfectly okay because I think that will be good for his confidence. We saw after that game in Arizona where he scored his first goal and then unfortunately missed a couple of games, but then came back mm -hmm. and scored another goal against St. Louis. He thrives on being confident. And if he's second-guessing things, uh, that's not, you know, that's not the best for him. Yeah. Uh, again, agreed. I think it would be good. I mean, it, it's just, it's kind of a nature of like, you know, that sometimes the AHL is kind of in a weird way. It's kind of a harder league in some facets to play than the NHL, especially if you're an 18 year old kid, first overall pick some older, it's a rougher league. Some guys might be, you know, going after you. That's kind of my worry if it happens, but I think, you know, just, you're not going to learn things very well on the fly at the NHL level. I think 
you know, you're better suited to, you know, you're still playing a fast game down in the AHL. It, it could be good for him. But anyways, uh, the Rocket lost, by the way, today, uh, five to four in overtime. Uh, lucky to take a point. I mean, they came back in the last two minutes. You know, I was watching this game, Scott, and I'm thinking, oh, great. You know, this game's going to end. The Rocket are going to lose four to two. And uh, Scott's going to be able to come on and not have to worry about his game recap. Could get some work done even before. Uh, <laughs> no, they don't. They tie up the game in the last two minutes, drop it in overtime. Uh, but again, I said the record off the top two, seven and two, uh, just very simply what's going on down there. They can't get a bounce to save their lives. And I, I know that sounds cliche and like an excuse watching this game tonight and the game they played on Wednesday, they did everything to put the puck in dangerous areas. Goalies made good saves, which they do. It's just puck went wide this way, deflected a little bit wide, deflected off a post. This game could have been four, one for the rocket 10 minutes into the first period. And just when I say they could not buy a bounce to save their life, that top line of Jesse Ullinen, Raphael Harvey-Pinard, and Xavier Simono had so many good chances, and Brandon Gignac's mixed in there as well. The chances were there, and they can't get a bounce. And that, and then they're playing from behind because the other team gets a bounce off a skater in front. The, the hockey is good. They're playing very good, fluid hockey that you want to mm. see. The game... They came back in the final minutes because of the way they played this game and that tenacity finally paid off. If they got the bounces like they did on Rafael Harvey Pinard's goal and then Xavier Simino's game tying goal all night, this is a seven to seven, three kind of laugher there. I, I know people are want more out of them after their run to the, through the playoffs last year, but I wouldn't be worried about this. The young guys are playing well. Caden Primo, you know, if he game to game, I don't think he's been, terrible but he hasn't been as good as he possibly could be but you look at guys like Jesse Ullinen and Raphael Harvey Pinard and Xavier Simono, Matthias Norlinder and Justin Barron and they're playing well they're playing big roles it's like we talked about with the Habs with Caulfield and Suzuki and Doc is that even if the wins aren't there but they're progressing along that development path you're 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 getting what you want out of this in the end and these are guys that should see Xavier Simono notwithstanding because he has an AHL contract should see regular NHL time at points this year. Once mm. bodies are shipped out, injuries hit like we talked about. That's all a huge possibility. Uh, sick podcast brought to you by LaCage. If the last time you went to LaCage was when the Habs won the cup, well, it's time you go back to LaCage. The menu will surprise you. And, uh, you know, just before I let you go, uh, I want—I actually wanted to bounce that off and you kind of rattled off a couple names. So I, I guess I'll just ask it in this way, you know, when those injuries and trades inevitably happen, who are you most excited to see at the NHL level? Uh, Jesse Ullinen very, very much is my top pick. I, I've given Mike Hoffman a lot of flack this year because I think Jesse Ullinen does everything he does better with effort and is younger. He has, all, he has arguably the second best shot in the organization behind Cole Caulfield. He has a wicked wrist shot, a heavy slap shot. He skates with speed and he's got great hands. And Raphael Harvey Pinard is someone that Brendan Gallagher, if he took less penalties, same tenacity, drives the net, gets himself in those areas, wears number 11. He's a guy that I think fans are going to love. And then Xavier Simono is a bulldog, an absolute bulldog. Mm. When he gets his entry-level deal at the end of the season, and I will happily go on record saying he will get his entry-level deal at the end of this season, He's going to be someone that fans are going to love because he's fought dudes a foot taller than him this year already. 
and he scores big goals, makes things happen. Fans are going to love this guy. I highly recommend check out some of the Rocket games. Watch number 81. Just absolutely drive people nuts. I love it. More of those uh, sandpaper guys. They're <laughs> they're kind of those are uh, those are always fun to watch, especially to have on the team and get behind, rally around. Uh, Scott, just before I let you go, uh, where can everyone find your work? Uh, you can find my writing work at Habs Eyes on the Prize. Uh, I do cover the Rocket there. I make the highlights for games where fans from other teams yell at me about what happened in the game. Uh, I do cover the Habs there from time to time as well, depending on what's happening. And if you're looking for more of me in an audio or visual medium, please check out Lockdown Canadians, which is my show with my co-host, The Active Stick, um, at LO underscore Canadians on Twitter. We'll have all the info you need there. So I am everywhere all the time until Twitter eventually crashes and burns inside the next month or so. Yeah, we all, uh, we're all just very <laughs> much looking forward to that. Again, another, another topic for a different podcast. Scott, thank you very much for doing this on a Friday night. Have a great weekend. Thank you for having me, guys. All right. Uh, it is Friday. You know what that means. Thank God it's football. TGIF. Thank God it's Friday. It's also football with Matt O'Hare. Burrow hooks a pass. Wide open chase. Touchdown, Bengals. No, don't worry, everyone. I'm not going to bore you with a 20-minute rant on uh, how Zach Taylor's a terrible coach and that Joe Burrow has been able to shroud him being a bad coach uh, for his tenure in Cincinnati. No, we'll uh, we'll talk a little NFL uh, near the end of the show when I give you some betting picks. But uh, it is Friday, which means there's football coming up on the weekend. And there's a CFL playoff game going on in our city for the first time since 2019. That's right. The Montreal Alouettes are playing host to the Hamilton Tiger Cats in the East semifinal. And who better to talk Alouettes with than the Alouettes' own Joey Alfieri. Joey, how are you? What's up, buddy? How you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good, man. It's good to see your face. I haven't seen that, I've seen that mug in a while. Yeah, I wish I could say the same, but uh, here we are. Yeah, no, it's okay. Uh, all right, Joe. Uh, let's let's just get down to brass tacks here. Uh, the Alouettes uh, have a head-to-head record against this Hamilton Tiger Cats team of two and one this season. Uh, most recently, uh, won twenty-three to twelve, but they also most recently lost in the playoffs twenty-three to twelve to this Hamilton Tiger Cats team. I mean, everyone's talking about the run game. Do you see it that way? Do you think that's going to be the uh, the big uh, dominant factor on both sides of the football? Yeah, well, look, I think it's interesting, right? Like you mentioned, the games have been so tight. Like Montreal won two out of three. Um, But if you look back at the playoff game that you're talking about last year in the East semifinal, which was played in Hamilton, I mean, it was tough. The Alouettes became very one-dimensional in that game because they couldn't run the ball. uh, And uh, it was snowing. It was cold. So it wasn't ideal uh, throwing conditions by any stretch. Um, But... Um, you know, they made the game interesting late, but I think this is this is one where I'm with you. I think as cliche as it is, I think the battle of the trench is going to be big. You know, I think the Alizal offensive line is going to need to be uh, efficient in pass protection. Uh, I think, you know, you're going to need help from your tight ends and your your running backs as well in that uh, in that respect. But, you know, I think running the football and running the football well on first down is going to open up the passing game. I think the Owls are one of the few CFL teams that are kind of um, – if you want to call them, you know, traditional, uh, that way is that, you know, they still uh, use the the run to open up the pass. And when I say run, I mean, run can be, you know, a quick uh, pass in the flat or, uh, you know, a hitch pass. 
uh, to either side of Trevor Harris. Like in the CFL, that's, you know, in my mind, that's a run too. Like that's like Mark Tressman always used to say, you know, you don't necessarily have to hand the ball off to run the ball. So I'm with you. I think that that's going to be a big, big factor uh, in this one. At the same time, the Tiger Cats, I think, have the number one uh, defense against the run and they have a real good front seven. But I think if Montreal, if you see Williams stand back at 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 carries, I think it's probably a good sign means Montreal's ahead. Well, there's also uh, two other guys out there in that backfield in uh, Jeshui Antwi and Fletcher. Uh, you know, that's the that's the being billed as a three-headed monster. And, you know, you mentioned, you know, throwing the ball out in the flat and how that's kind of an extension of the run game. Uh, I see it the same way, but in a, in a kind of a maybe a little bit of a nuanced way, you know, you're also giving your chance to your playmaker in a one-on-one situation to just make a guy miss and grab a couple extra yards. Is that something that they're going to be looking to do a little bit more of rather than just, you know, crash and bang in the line uh, through the, you know, try to find a hole in the offensive line? Yeah, look, I think it's a it's a reasonable point. I think if you look at their offense, the way they've done it all year, uh, they try to get their speed guys out there, like you said, make somebody miss. You know, whether it's a couple of the Canadian boys like Kayon Julian Grant or Tyson Philpott, those are the guys. Uh, that you uh, that you usually hit uh, on those uh, on those quick passes out wide. So uh, they've had some success there uh, doing that. And I think if they have a hard time running the ball between the tackles, I think you'll probably see them do that as well. Well, so we mentioned last year's game and that they had trouble, you know, throwing the ball uh, in that game because of you know it just became so one dimensional. And I feel like that kind of followed into the beginning of this year. So I want to take you to the beginning of the year. You know, the Alouettes are in a lot of trouble, losing games by undisciplined was the uh, was the the hot topic and the uh-huh. key word of the season. Yeah. Um, and then they kind of, they you know, obviously Kahari Jones gets let go and things kind of take a turn for, for the better. And all in the middle of this is Trevor Harris. What... What's his progression like from season's beginning to now been for you? Can you take us through that? Honestly, like I, I think he's been good the whole way. <laughs> like I, I don't understand. Like I know there's, there's been you know there's a section of the fan base that isn't enamored with him, and I, I mean I don't get it. Like I understand that some people prefer a running quarterback, um, but Trevor Harris for the most part, you know, gets the ball out of his hands quick. Um, he's Careful with the ball. I mean, every quarterback throws interceptions, but he has a nice touchdown ratio of uh, touchdown to interception ratio of 20 to 12, uh, I think. And I think he's thrown one pick in the last five games or whatever. I mean, I just I don't get it. I, I don't understand the, the hate. I understand that there are quarterbacks out there uh, that might be a little uh, flashier or uh, or sexier in the way that they play. Um, but I don't know. To me, Trevor Harris is efficient. I think you can win with Trevor Harris. No problem there. Um, has, is the offense perfect? No, I don't think that's just on the quarterback, though. You know, I think they do have to they do have to execute in the red zone a little bit better than they have uh, over the last uh, over the last few weeks anyway. Um, but to me, I mean, I just I think he's been pretty consistent. I mean, he came in. He didn't start week one or week two, came in the second quarter of the second game of the season. And. There's been ups, there's been downs, but I think you also have to measure his impact off the field. You know, they've Mm. called a couple of uh, player-only meetings, um, and and I know that he's a big part of that. He's a big part of the leadership committee uh, within the Alouette's locker room. So, you know, to give you an example, Matt, they called a players-only meeting before the game in Winnipeg when they were 2-6. And And, uh, they're still, to this day, the only team this season to beat the Blue Bombers in Winnipeg. So, 
I mean, that's the game that got everything turned around. And the turnaround isn't all on Trevor Harris, but I feel like he's a big part of it. And again, I just I don't understand why people can't appreciate the guy's game. Yeah, I feel like it's uh, like you said, there's a couple things that go into it, which is one, he's not that sexy running quarterback. And also two, let's let's call a spade a spade. The guy's getting up there in age. I mean, you know, CFL quarterbacks age differently than other positions other position players, but you know, he's a guy who's been around the league before. And I, and I, I just, the sense that I'm getting from the fan base is, you know, that every, nobody kind of really, I don't want to say cares what happened in the regular season. The thing that's kind of still hanging over everyone's heads is that loss in Hamilton and just, mm-hmm. you know, the inability to move the ball in that game. I feel like that's where a lot of these things come from. Um, Trevor Harris is right. They were manhandled well, up front. They were manhandled up front in that game. I mean, you, listen, you can put some of the blame on Trevor Harris. And again, I feel like we're talking about the same issues. But, you know, the, they they settled for field goals early in that game. They had a lead after the first quarter. They fell apart in the second quarter. But I don't know. I, I have a hard time blaming Trevor Harris for that. The, the offensive line was particularly banged up. Um, and, you know, you had a couple guys in there on the left side of the line that are no longer in Montreal. They were traded or released. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, I just, I don't, again, I understand that it's going to come down to wins and losses in the playoffs. Uh, Montreal have won a playoff game since 2014, but you know, you can't dispute Harris has been very efficient. He's taking care of the football for the most part this year. And okay. He doesn't run, but I mean, there's other ways to win games, especially in the CFL. And I know he's 36. I get that. But mm-hmm. he only really started playing at the age of 29, 30. So, you know, it's not a guy who's been starting games since he was 21, 22 years old. He, he had to wait patiently behind some really good quarterbacks. So, you know, is he, you know, seven years, a long time to be a, a full-time player for the most part in the game football league? Yeah, sure. But I still think he's got some good football ahead of him. I don't think he's done. Yeah, and you know what? Uh, we we talk so much. He's not a traditional running quarterback, but man, I, I, some plays are sticking out in my head where I've seen him use those. I've seen him use those legs. It looks like he's got the juice out there sometimes. He's got uh, the at least in the legs. Yeah, he's got the juice in the legs. You know, um, another guy who's got the juice is Eugene Lewis. Uh, this guy has had. I mean, it's been a career year for Eugene. Uh, so, just in in your eyes, again from last year. I mean, it just kind of wasn't a full season. I feel like he really broke onto the scene last year as that number one guy. But from last year to even this year, where, how much has he progressed in his game to be the player he is? Yeah, I think it's a couple of years he's just been, he's been dominant. I think if you go back to the back half of 2019, um, like there's, there's been talk, you know, now it's coming out that, you know, the Owls nearly cut him in 2019. You know, I had heard that he was potentially uh, on the move via trade. I don't know if that's confirmed or not, but, you know, in the end, it didn't end up working out. And he just, he seemed to take off after that. And he's just, you know, he's not the guy who's necessarily going to blow by you with speed. It's, it's not his game, but at the same time, I mean, you know, he can get up the field uh, quick enough. Uh, and then once he gets, you know, he's going to high point the ball. He's going to out physical you uh, in those 50-50 balls. I mean, they don't seem 50-50 at all. I think he likes to call them 90-10. Um, but, you know, he has a leaping ability. Uh, he's a guy who isn't shy, you know, to take contact. And he, he rarely gets blown up. Um, so, I mean, he's just, he's, he's a complete receiver. Uh, maybe, again, like we said, maybe the speed's missing. Um, but to me, uh, those hands are money. 
Uh, and you look at what he's done to the Tiger Cats this year. I mean, he absolutely carved them up, even in the playoff game last mm. year. Like, he went into that game banged up. Uh, at halftime of that game, he had one reception for two yards, and he finished with, like, 127 or 129 or something ridiculous like that. Um, and then this year, I think it's three games, it's 22 receptions, 305 yards, and three touchdowns. Like, just absolutely filthy. Absolutely filthy. So, you know, I think a big part of the offense is going to have to go through him. He and Trevor have a chemistry that's undeniable. Um, mm -hmm. But I do think that this team is very dangerous when they spread the ball around. Uh, when you have, you know, it's, it hasn't been uncommon this year for uh, them to, to go ahead and, and move the ball to seven, eight, nine different receivers, or at least, you know, seven, eight, nine different receivers get targets uh, throughout games. So um, peppering Geno Lewis with targets is never a bad idea. But I think if you can spread the ball around and, you know, Mayala's involved and Phil Potts involved and Winicky's involved, Julian Grant's involved, you know, you get Walter Fletcher involved, who you mentioned earlier in the uh, in the passing game out of the backfield. That's when I think that you can keep you can get Hamilton on their heels. Um, and then at that point, you know, if they have to load up the box to stop the run, that's where you can hurt them uh, with a bunch of different receivers. But to get back to your original point, I mean, Gino Lewis has been absolutely sick like he's been so good uh for uh, for a couple of years now and uh and i anticipate that that's going to continue because like i said he's had success in the playoffs before yeah and he's finally uh, just the, the way you were describing him uh, in all of his because obviously you see him firsthand you see him so up close every uh, week in week out just yeah. the way and i'm not just trying to throw a bengals comp into there just you know to to make it seem like I know what I'm talking about. Um, but it sounds a lot like T Higgins, you know, just a guy that doesn't have that breakaway speed, but you know, you're tossing a ball up to him. He's going to fight you off the ball. And it's like you said, it's not a 50, 50, really. It's kind of a 90, 10 kind of deal. Uh, let's talk about the other side of the ball, the defense. They're not getting too much attention just because of all the weapons that are on this Alouette's offense. I mean, you know, Dane Evans, kind of similar trajectory this season I'm talking about as uh, as Trevor Harris in terms of the last five games, not turning the ball over. What what does this Alouette's defense have to do? Who does it start with? And, you know, who are you circling on your depth chart that, okay, this guy needs to have his big defensive performance? Yeah, well, look, I think with Dane Evans, you know, in fairness, people are going to say, yeah, well, 16 interceptions. I think that led the league. He lost eight fumbles. I think that led the league too. But like you said, he's actually cleaned it up quite a bit uh, down the stretch. I think they're going into this game on a four-game winning streak. Uh, I know they've struggled pretty badly on the road, but if they get the quarterback play, you know, that they're capable of getting, like, you know, last year he didn't play in the playoffs. 2019, he helped lead them to the Grey Cup uh, or the Grey Cup final. They lost to Winnipeg mm -hmm. in Calgary. I mean, you just you kind of never know uh, what you're going to get with Dane Evans. But when he runs hot, he runs hot. Look, I think I I'm really curious to see the physicality that the linebackers can bring uh, in this game. Obviously, defensive line is going to be huge. Uh, but, you know, the guys like Darius Pickett, Chris Aki, uh, Tyrese Beverett, like those are the guys that typically will set the tone for the Salouette's defense. You know, you see uh, Pickett come off the edge on blitzes a lot. You know, he's going to have to make sure that he gets to the quarterback um, you know, and there's sometimes he's going to have the clear path and sometimes he won't, but he's going to have to make life difficult uh, for Dane Evans uh, in that sense. And, and look, not having Micah Awe, who since he's come in, he's played really, really well at middle linebacker. Unfortunately, he's banged up for this game. He's not going to play. But, mm. you know, Chris Aki's a veteran. Uh, he's not typically a middle linebacker, but he looked reasonably 
you know, comfortable enough. Uh, last week in Toronto, had an interception uh, in that game as well. So um, I, I think I'm looking at that linebacker trio. I mean, it's not to say that there's guys in the secondary and, and, and guys on the defensive line that aren't important. But if you're asking me for who I'm circling, I'm looking at that linebacker trio, uh, and they're going to have to find a way to, to set the tone physically uh, in that game. Yeah, and you mentioned Chris Aki, uh, and you know he's not traditionally a linebacker, more of a defensive back. But I, I think that's one of the unique things about this Alouette's defense is that their linebackers typically, you know, have either you know for back to the days of you know Diamond Ferry or, or these are physical guys, but now they've moved to like speed and physical. It's kind of a unique thing about the Alouette's defense. I find I'm always just very impressed with the linebacker play because of the speed they bring at the second level. Yeah, listen, I think Noel Thorpe and, and Byron Archambault, uh, defensive coordinator and linebacker coach, I think they've done a really good job uh, coaching these guys up this year. They've put these guys in a position to succeed. Like, people forget, like, Tyrese Beverett was a guy who was signed to be, you know, he's a free agent from Hamilton, a guy who had a little bit of NFL experience. But, you know, he was a backup Will linebacker um, in Hamilton with the Tiger Cats the last couple of seasons. You know, comes to Montreal, and he's had a career year. He's been amazing. Uh, now everybody loves a Darius Pickett. Last year, you know, there was a portion of the media that was trying to run him out of town because, you know, he did take uh, some penalties at some bad times. Mm. Um, but it's tough to be in that position. Last year, he was all over the defense. You know, there was times he would play uh, the Sam linebacker spot. There's times they'd put him at defensive back, times they put him at safety. Like, he was moving around all over the field. He didn't have one spot. And this year, they really, they've really they kept him at the Sam linebacker spot. And I thought he had an all-star caliber year. I was thinking that he was going to make the all-star team. He didn't. But, you know, they found, place, they, they found places for these guys, uh, and they fit in really nicely. And then Aki's been a will linebacker. You know, he did play safety a little bit at the beginning of his career. Uh, but, you know, he's a will linebacker for the last few years. Now they're forcing him, well, forcing him. Now he's being forced uh, into uh, that middle linebacker spot, and he's a guy who's been there, done that, so I'm not really worried for him. I'm curious to see, because they have a 30 front. They run three defensive linemen for the most part. Mm. Um, you know, I'm curious to see if the linebackers can fill the gaps. They can stop the run uh, effectively, because that's been, you know, uh, that's I wouldn't say Achilles heel, but that's been something um, that, you know, they've, they've lacked consistency with is stopping the run, but – you know, I, I like the linebackers. I like the group that they have. I think they're well coached um, and I think they're talented guys. And so, you know, I would expect those guys, like I said before, I think those guys need to set the tone uh, physically uh, for this group. Sick podcast brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. It is an asset-based logistics provider offering outstanding service at incredible rates, serving all of North America. Energy Transportation Group offers full service logistics support. Joey, hey, by the way, okay. is like Tony tied up somewhere in the back? Like, what's going on here? Like, why am I, I mean, not talking so, about an arrow? I mean, are you you don't you don't like talking to me or what's I mean, going on? I do, but you know, I thought I was going to talk to Tony. That's why I came. Uh, on. Yeah, that, yeah. Even though I'm the one who texted you, there, yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah. um, but no, uh, Tony uh, is a bit of a, he. His words, not mine. Yeah, and 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 Yellow and Sammy can attest to this. Yeah, he said it himself. He's a diva. He needs his Fridays off. Okay. He's his Fridays off. That's so right. I, you know, he, he gave me a call and said, Hey, I need you to do the Fridays. And I said, Okay. Uh, and Yellow and Sammy will pay me handsome, way more handsomely than you uh, get paid <laughs> because you'll see. I'm going to take your job soon. Anyways. <laughs> 
so, okay. So you, you spoke about Adarius Pickett and penalties. That's where I wanted to go. Just, I mean, we don't have to spend a ton of time on it because it's just been, I feel like it's been a hot topic at the beginning of the season. One of the reasons why, or at least it was stated why uh, Kahari Jones was let go was the discipline issues. And then they kind of continued into Danny Machocha's beginning of his stint. Has that kind of, I don't want to see it be a thing of a pass because every team takes penalties, especially in the CFL, but is that something that's been subsided? Uh, I think it's been a roller coaster, honestly. Like I think there's been some ups and there's been some downs. Um, I think there's a lot of, and it's funny, like when you don't take penalties, uh, nobody mentions them, right? Like nobody says like, Oh, good job. You didn't take penalties. It's just like, you're expected to not take penalties. But then when you do take penalties, it's like, Oh, well, why is everybody taking penalties? I mean, look, one of these three games will stand out. Um, August the 20th, uh, the Owls won on a walk-off 48-yard field goal by David Cote. They won by mm-hmm. a point. And the only reason that game was close is because the Owls, I think they took like 190 yards in penalties in that game. There was like two roughing the kicker penalties. Um, so it's something that they're going to have to they're gonna have to keep in check. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, Hamilton took like 125 yards in penalties in that game or something like that. It, it was yeah. absurd. Like there's – the the number of penalties taken in that game were absurd. So I don't think you wanted to get to that point. Like I don't think you want to give the rep- the referees an opportunity uh, to be the difference here or there um, in uh, in this game uh, on Sunday. And typically in the playoffs, I think you know f- for the most part uh, they should let the guys play. I think they typically do uh, let the guys play, and and they try not to be a I don't want to say as big a factor, but I, you know, I think it's it's like any other league. You know, you try to let things uh, go. You try to let the teams on the field determine what happens. But um, I think to get back to your question, I think there's been, I, I think it's been, for lack of a better term, like I think it's been regular. Like there's some games where yeah, they go over 100 yards in penalties, and some games mm-hmm. where they're at like 35, 40. I think it's just like the ebbs and flows of a season. I, I don't think this is you know, an undisciplined group. Like, I think the Saskatchewan Rough Riders this year, I think that was an undisciplined group. I think the Owls, in that sense, have figured it out. Um, but there are there have been weeks where the penalty numbers spike, and then there's other weeks where um, they're they're down below 50. So, you know, I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's a, it's an epidemic. I don't think it's a huge problem uh, that they have. Um, but, you know, at the same time, it, it's worth mentioning that, you know, they can't take silly penalties to extend drives because that has been a problem at different times this year. Um, so if they can keep that clean, uh, I think that's uh, that's a big step in, uh, in you know, making progress towards the East Division final against Toronto the following week. Right. And, you know, just for the, the, the NFL fans uh, that don't watch a lot of CFL uh, that are listening and watching us, um, just to let you know, the 100 yards in penalties is like standard across CFL. The refs throw well, flags. I don't know about like, standard. I don't know. Well, about standard. I, I, I mean, I find refs throw flags, you know, pretty often in this league and, you know, not, not a knock. I mean, it's a, you know, there's, I will always say this to all my friends who bash on the CFL. They have the best rules, the best rules, make pass interference reviewable. You know, if you're going to open that Pandora's box, the the CFL did it, you know? Well, that actually uh, happened. You know how that started, right? It was a playoff game in Guelph between Montreal and Hamilton a few years ago. I was there. It was windy as heck. And mm-hmm. there was a pass interference missed in the Hamilton end zone that would have given Montreal the ball on the one yard line. Uh, the referees missed it; wasn't challengeable at the time. It was on Duran Carter. Uh, and then that off season, I think it was, they decided to make pass interference reviewable. They've tweaked it along here and there. Um, I think at first you were literally able to challenge, you know, every illegal contact on a receiver. Yeah. Um, but you know, now I think they've, you know, they've done what they can. 
you know, it is a gray zone. Every referee has their own kind of uh, standard. You know, when they go back to the war room in Toronto, I think there's, you know, there's a lack of um, consistency sometimes. But I think that's to be expected. Like, it's hard to have that same standard. Every pass interference is kind of different. I think they've done a really good job with it, to be honest with you. But, yeah. No, I, I, I'm in complete agreement with you because every time there's a clearly missed interference in the NFL, you know, I'm thinking, you know, in the back of my head, throw the flag. Oh, wait, you can't. You're you're not in the CFL because that's just it's one of those things that I like about the CFL yeah. is that they, you know, they they don't put everything, you know, they don't say let's trust the referees and and we'll we'll have a security blanket here. Okay, uh, last last question before I let you go because we uh, we only have about five minutes left and I'm getting tired. Uh, and I appreciate you doing this on a Friday night, by the way. Um, okay. Just lay out the ground. Someone's watching this game for the first time. Uh, what can they expect from this Alouettes team? What can they expect from the matchup in general? Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a hard fought. I think it's going to be close. Like, I, I really don't see either side blowing the other side out. Like we mentioned before, they played three times in the regular season this year. Uh, they played once in the preseason, and every single time they played, uh, the point differential was seven points or fewer. There was a couple of games where it was seven points, and then there was one game where it was one point. I think it's going to be it's going to be really hard fought. I, I think it's going to be a nail biter. Um, I, I don't know, you know, that any. I don't think this is going to be like a 45-42 kind of game. I think it's going to be a little more uh, low scoring than that. Um, I, I just think that physicality is gonna is gonna win. You know, I think the team that can protect their quarterback, the team that can run the ball effectively, and we've seen both teams do uh, those things, and then both teams struggle uh, with those things as well. I think that's the team that's gonna win. So uh, I think it's uh, I think it's the Alouettes by uh, by a couple points, um, but I, I do think that this one's gonna go down to the wire. It wouldn't surprise me if the last team with the ball ends up winning, even though it's not a shootout. All right, so I'm taking down your notes, and uh, just like last time I went to a game and I texted you, uh, I will be blaming you for taking, if it doesn't hit, Alouettes minus three. And Is under, it minus three now? I thought it was two and a half. It, it, it got bumped up to minus uh, – the last I saw it, it was minus three. It's kind of different all over the place. It's because uh, of this hit. I, it's because I just said the Alouettes are going to win, so Vegas just, right. you know, they adjusted the numbers. This is the kind of power yeah, exactly. we have on a sick podcast. That's right. Don't and don't you forget it. So yeah. Alouettes minus three under forty nine and a half. And I mean, we didn't mention it, but the uh, the weather will play a factor because it's a, you know it started off at the beginning of the week. It was supposed to be a beautiful day for football, twenty degrees and sunny. Now all of a sudden, I check my phone and it says I'm going to be sitting outside in five to ten millimeters of rain. So that might play. A factor uh, yeah, well. but I, from the last I saw, though, I think that it might stop right before kickoff. Is what somebody told oh, okay, me perfect. a couple hours ago. Uh, so, um, yeah, I, I mean, look, if it is wet, I think those are conditions that probably favor the Alouettes because you're probably going to ground and pound a little bit more. We talked about the three running backs, but um, yeah, don't don't discourage people from coming because I do think that by the time kickoff goes, I think the rain will have stopped if I'm not mistaken. That's uh, that's what I have. But I'm just going off like Meteo Media. Yeah, well, that's 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 what I was doing as well. You know, we don't have uh, I don't have eyes in the sky like uh, like some people do. But yeah, Joey, uh, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, hope to see you on Sunday. I know you're going to be busy running all over the place. Uh, so if you have the time, it would be appreciated to say hello to your friend once in a while. Um, but uh, no, in all seriousness, thanks for doing this tonight, and uh, good luck to you and the guys on uh, Sunday. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for having me. 
No problem. All right. We have uh, not that much time left. So uh, let's just get to it right now. Six Sick Picks presented by Betway. It's time for Sick Picks. Brought to you by Betway. All right. So uh, TGIF, thank God it's football. I'm going to be focusing. Uh, a lot of my picks will be football based, but I'll give you one right off the bat that I like. Uh, I know we talked to Scott Waltz, uh, Matla and you know, the, uh, the Canadians are playing really well right now. Um, I, I just don't see this continuing, especially against a big team like Vegas. They're nine and two on the season, heavy favorites, probably not as heavy as they should be. Uh, so that's the time to take advantage. Nine and two on the season. I'm going Vegas. And I, I do think this is one of those games where the Canadians, it's going to happen this season. So get used to it. Uh, they're going to get smacked by the big boys. So I'm going to take Vegas and over six and a half goals there. That pays two, uh, just under three to one at 2.95. And now for the NFL Sunday, uh, full disclosure, I have won my picks the past two weeks in a row made some money. It's really nice. And now that nobody asked me for my picks, but now that I'm winning, Sammy and Aniello asked me for my picks and you know, I'm going to be made to look like an idiot when these eventually uh, and inevitably don't hit. So two things that really piqued my interest were the Minnesota Vikings on the road as three and a half point underdogs to the Washington commanders. I really don't understand this. Um, Minnesota is six and one. I understand that they're not dominating teams like other teams of those of that caliber are doing. Notably the Eagles who are blowing teams out left and right. The bills who are blowing teams out left and right. Minnesota keeps it tight because frankly, they're not the most talented group out there, but they are what the record says they are. They're six and one. Washington is a bad football team. Give me Minnesota minus three and a half. Parlay that with Seattle plus two and a half on the road in Arizona. Seattle has been getting no love this year from anybody. And only now people are starting to sniff around. Oh, the Seahawks may be for real. You know what? I don't think they're going to win that division, frankly, because I think that the 49ers just have an unbelievable roster. And, you know, with the bye week this week, they're going to put it all together and they're probably going to take the division. But Arizona is another divisional team and they stink. I have no faith in Kyler Murray. I have no faith in Cliff Kingsbury. And I just have no faith in anyone else on that offense until Hollywood Brown comes back and then they are at full strength. Give me Seattle. Parlayed with Minnesota. Seattle are two and a half point underdogs. I would even take the money line on Seattle. That's what I'm doing. And uh, just a little note for you. I'm going to give you two more things. One of them is a pick and one of them is kind of a rule of thumb. I don't know if you guys saw this, but this past week, uh, a video surfaced. I forget on which Instagram account. It's one of the betting ones. It might have been Bleacher Report betting. Uh, anyways, it doesn't matter. Um there's a new rule or not a new rule, but there's someone studied trends over NFL teams that are uh, double digit favorites over other teams. 65% of the time when a team is a double digit favorite, that game will go under. It's probably a bad time to bring up that rule considering that uh, the Eagles and Houston Texans went over yesterday. But general rule of thumb is when one team is you know, build to blow out another team, they're going to take their foot off the gas at one point. So uh, just bear that in mind. 
If you're looking at the uh, the Chiefs versus the Titans and where the Chiefs are 12 and a half point favorites on Betway and uh, bear that in mind when you're looking at Bills versus Jets where the Bills are 12 point favorites. So just keep that in mind. And hey, one more football game for you. We talked CFL. We talked NFL. Why not talk college as well? Just really quickly, shout out to Jer Held and Charles Moati, who will be going to the college game of the year. These are two of my, my buddies. Um, going to the college game of the year. Georgia, number three in the country, playing host to number one, Tennessee. You're not going to see this very often where a number three team is a favorite, a pretty heavy favorite over a number one team. But hey, this is based off of no statistical analysis. But if you run a ride with me and, you know, I'm hoping my friends have a good time down there. I hope Georgia will cover that spread. But that will also it's a big spread, but it's not a double digit spread. It's going over. Thank you guys for listening. Tony will be back on Monday. Peace. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Sick Podcast with Tony Marinero on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. 8.6. Intense by nature. And La Cage. If the last time you went to La Cage was when the Habs won the cup, it's time you went back to La Cage. The menu will surprise you.